It obviously affected John the Baptist and the apostles in a good way because they made sure to write down what happened that day. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. What's interesting about this passage is that it doesn't take a lot to see that it basically says the same thing that God revealed to Isaiah over 700 years earlier. Which means that God's actually been pretty consistent when it comes to telling us about his intent to redeem the world. How would you feel and react if you were in John the Baptist's sandals? Your ministry is absolutely booming. And people travel from all over Judea to hear you speak and to be baptized by you in the Jordan River. Not only that, the scribes and the Pharisees think you might even be the Messiah. That's why a bunch of them came from Jerusalem to ask you about it. Only to be disappointed and probably a little bit relieved when you told them that you weren't. At the same time, everything about your ministry challenges those scribes and Pharisees' understanding of what it means to be one of God's people. But then, all of a sudden, on top of all of that, God does something even more amazing. God shows you how he intends to redeem the world and who's going to do it. Your cousin, Jesus, which is something John didn't see coming, and why he says, I myself did not know him. Not once. He says it twice in this passage. So why is all of that important? What's God trying to show us in this passage and in the words of Isaiah 49? Essentially, God's using John the Baptist to declare the beginning of a whole new era in human history. He wants us to see the horror and reality of sin, our sin, and how it impacts our lives. As well as helping us see that apart from being absolutely dependent on Him, there's nothing we can do about it, nothing we can do to stop it. And that's why God wants us to see the difference between the law, which we can't keep, and which is punishment, the coming of Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer. Which is a redemptive way, and, and it's not based on what we do, but on what Jesus did. As I said, basically he's showing us that we're trapped in a cycle we can't escape from. And that's why he's supplying the only ways and means to ensure that we can. At the same time, though, all this is an amazing picture of how much God loves us and the lengths he's willing to go to to help us break the sin cycle that dominates our lives. The question is, do we see that? Are we willing to let go of our self-righteousness and rely solely on Christ's righteousness? Because that's the only way we're going to experience what we see in both of today's passages. 
Well, the emotions that John experienced at that moment in time when God revealed Jesus' identity and mission to him must have been absolutely overwhelming. More than likely, they probably would have carried him through the remaining days of his ministry, even as the reality of that divine encounter began to wane. But God wasn't done with John yet, because he allowed John to experience something else something that was equally as amazing, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Then John gave this testimony. He saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This was the climactic moment in John's ministry because after this it begins to draw to a close and ultimately ends with his execution. But here, here on the banks of the Jordan River, God had literally broken the seal and gave John a vision of the reality of his kingdom. And that vision penetrated John's soul in an unbelievable way. He knew that what he'd experienced was extraordinary and supernatural. And that it was beyond any sort of human comprehension or understanding. The words John spoke were unbelievably important because they confirmed the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And they left absolutely no doubt about Jesus' divinity and sovereignty. That way people would see Jesus as a king not simply as a teacher or a messenger. It's important for us to see and to grasp that. Because both this passage and the passage from Isaiah paint a word picture that helps us see both God's power and might in the unexpected way he intended to redeem the world and every one of us with it. A way characterized by an attitude of servanthood, sacrifice, Rejection, rather than being liberated by a visibly triumphant and all-conquering hero. The question, as I've said many times, is why? Why do it that way? Why would God portray his son and our Savior as a servant rather than a king? Along with those questions, we also need to ask ourselves why that image and the word servant seems so demeaning and makes us so uncomfortable. What we tend to forget is that Jesus saw himself as a servant. A servant with the desire and willingness to put God's purposes first, regardless of the image and impression it gave others. Listen to the words of Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28, and I think you'll understand what I'm getting at. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Understanding Jesus' insight into what God was asking him to do is important because it provides a glaring contrast to the arrogance, pride, and self-interest we see in the world around us. Instead of being dependent on God and on Christ, the world's become tongue-deaf to the message of the gospel. More often than not, charts its own course. A very failed course focused on wealth, power, influence, and political and economic dominance. Like Jesus, and unlike the world, we need to see ourselves as servants. And to ask God to give us a kingdom vision of something bigger than ourselves, along with the willingness to put that vision first. At the same time, we need to willingly suffer through the frustration of waiting for God to act. Whether it's in terms of answering our prayers, or waiting for Jesus to return and reclaim and redeem the world he created. <laughs> Now, I fully realize it's not easy to stay motivated when the world seems headed for hell in a handbasket, as the saying goes. Especially when a large part of that world is trying to actively discredit Christ's message of redemption. So it's only natural to occasionally experience a sense of discouragement and condemnation. The same way St. Paul described in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. One of the things we need to remember as we're looking at these passages is that God's call on our lives was issued before we were ever born. Which is something St. Paul made very clear in Ephesians 1 when he wrote, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure. What Paul, along with Isaiah and John the Baptist, is trying to show us is that all of life's events and every one of our relationships are part of God's plan to make himself known and to make us aware of our dependence on him and on Christ. But along with that, they're also reminding us that it's not simply life's events and our education that conditions us. The Holy Spirit also plays an enormous role in shaping our hearts and minds, and then triggering the willingness to serve in the way that we've been talking about. At that same time, though, God's purpose for our lives must be rather, maybe rather, inconspicuous, and it might not even be readily apparent, especially in the midst of everything that's happening around us. And that's why it's important for us to understand that it's not a matter of whether or not we experience success in our lives or in our ministry, or whether or not we can see or sense God working in and around us. Because the outcome is not our responsibility. It's God's. 
And that's exactly why it's so important for us to find our security in our relationship with Christ rather than our circumstances. Because without that dependence, the dependence that accompanies that relationship, we'll never know what it's like to experience God's presence and power. We won't overcome what the world's going to throw at us. Regardless of the state of the world and what we think, God knows that life's rather ugly and how it impacts us. Remember, he was there when Adam and Eve opened that door and let that ugliness in. But that's also why he gave us the passages we looked at today. Because just like the North American Auto shows an appetizer for the next great automobile, these passages are an appetizer for the sense of redemption and peace we'll experience when we finally recognize and rest in the reality of what Christ's coming meant and means for humanity as well as for each one of us. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have given us your word as a light for our path and a lamp for our feet. A path that you call us to follow regardless of the circumstances we encounter. Send your Holy Spirit to help us hear your voice and to grasp the reality of your presence. And then grant us the courage to remain obedient to the truths you have revealed to us so that our lives exemplify the same grace, wisdom, and mercy exhibited by our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.